Oscar Poker. This is Jeff speaking. Uh, we're doing uh, Hollywood Elsewhere Telluride, and it's uh, Sunday, 5.25 um, uh, in the afternoon. We all have a break before we're going off to our respective screenings. Uh, Jet and I are going off to uh, Hyde Park. Uh, in, in, uh, on Hudson. Hyde Park on Hudson. Hyde Park on Hudson, which has already been uh, relegated to the category of uh, so-so, <laughs> not so hot, or, uh, tolerable, okay, but not, not great. Uh, and sitting with us is Scott Feinberg, uh, uh, Chief uh, Awards uh, Season Correspondent for Hollywood Reporter. Uh, hi, Scott. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. And, of course, my uh, 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 Oscar Poker uh, partner, uh, Sasha Stone. Uh, David, David uh, Scott Smith, uh, here with us with uh, uh, Svetlana. And there, we're all kind of... Excuse me, Svetlana Svetko. I don't mean to be dismissive by saying only first names. <laughs> and my son, uh, Jeff Wells, who is here with me, uh, tell your line. And we're all going to talk about what we've seen so far. And the first order of business, because we just saw it, is Ken Burns, the Central Park Oh my Five, God. Right, right into it, huh? Which has uh, been so far a fairly highly praised documentary. Right. And Scott just saw it, I just saw it, Ted just saw it, and Sasha saw it two days ago, correct? Okay. Sasha's view is that it's top of the world and possibly even best uh, documentary, maybe contention, maybe even win. Wasn't that what you wrote? Correct. Okay. We are completely uh, on different pages on this. <laughs> so perhaps you could start off, since you're the one who, let's be positive for it. Okay, just start a little spiel about it, if you could, and then we'll go into our... All right, I'd just like to say that, for the record, Svetlana did try to get the Mitt Romney iPod um, soundtrack off the speakers in there, but it didn't... Oh, wait, actually... Yeah, yeah. There we go. He oh, they managed to do it. Maybe they'll nice. put Paul Ryan's on. What do you mean Mitt Romney iPod? I don't know what you're talking about. The music going on. Music. Yeah. <laughs> Bluegrass. <laughs> that he chose or his favorites or what? No, it's just it going on. It's, it's just joke. a dumb joke, What's I'm sorry. Well, no, this week at the convention, uh, which a lot of people, we have, you know, right. not had a lot of time to watch, but okay. th there was a joke about that. Right. Yeah, they can't all be winners, sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. um, I thought it was really, you know, um, but your criticisms to me don't, don't, uh, don't diminish the importance of the documentary, getting that information out there. The big picture story of um, five black youths um, 
railroaded by law enforcement and by the uh, New York District Attorney, uh, A, into falsifying their confessions, and B, having a DA that never did any investigative work, never checked DNA, never compared their stories. Well, they, they have the DNA, they went, but they ignored it, right? They, just they ignored the DNA. They ignored the other perp whose, whose profile matched the... And be clear with the audience who has not seen or doesn't know about the case, the case is about... The case is the, the really famous case from 1989, the Central Park jogger who was um, uh, a co- uh, supposedly, according uh, according to you know what we all knew, was accosted by five youths on their rampage through Central Park, where they supposedly looted and pillaged and, and beat people up, and then and then concluded by raping and bludgeoning this woman and leaving her for dead. And it was a group and of about 25, and the term was wilding at the time. They called it wilding. The press totally piled on. Um, you had uh, Donald Trump, you know, writing and, uh, you know, taking out a full-page ad in the paper calling for the death penalty. But let's be clear, though. Wilding is not an alleged activity. <laughs> the, nobody in the entire documentary ever disputed that that did not happen or that it wasn't something that had happened in the past. And there was something of a phenomenon called wilding. It was the new term made popular by yeah. that event, which was right. not a real event. However, right. it just like when Tony Scott supposedly killed himself because of brain cancer, it was a story that just went on whether or not it was true. And nobody bothered to really look into the case because the public was um, satisfied. They were calling on the parents to, you know, admit wrongdoing. And all the while, the DA just kept pressing forward with her case. Um, What makes the documentary so powerful, though, is that even after the case was disproved in an absurd fashion, like you can't even imagine that this case ever went forward, but that afterwards the press could never acknowledge that they made such a huge mistake and there were never any repercussions taken. There was never the amount of publicity um, on the DA, which there should have been. Um, it is complete, um, you know, lawsuit that should have been, um, you know, that should have succeeded and, and it's still pending. All these years later, they're still pending the civil suit against the city of Florida. And if anybody deserves to be compensated, and then some, it's these poor guys. Yeah. No question about it. Their lives were ruined. Yeah. Period. No question. Not only that, but the documentary also, you know, highlights things like their removing education in prison. Um, that used to be that you could get a college degree. Now you can't anymore. You can't even educate yourself. Yeah. So um, I think that it really talks about a time in our history and it, it illuminates a lot of what's going on today and that's why I think it's important why I think Oscar will pay attention to it though is because it's Ken Burns and he is overdue for Oscar love and he's one of the most beloved documentarians whether or not uh, Richard Rushfield thinks he's the Frank Capra of documentary or he thinks he's the uh, Chris Columbus, it doesn't matter he made Civil War. He yeah. made the war. Jazz. He made jazz. I mean, baseball. Ooh, baseball. he made baseball. Jazz Give me a break. This guy is like, and here he comes into the. But this is not really a Ken Burns documentary. It is. Well, it doesn't matter. This is his name daughter's document, which he supported. But he's still going to win an Oscar if it goes. Best well, can I, on that point, can I just jump in here because sure. I think that. I don't dispute. I, th- I absolutely. I'm, I'm as big a Ken Burns fan as, as anybody, and I didn't dislike the movie, but I have a. I'm I, I'm like Jeff in that I have some major issues with it, and I think in terms of Oscars, there's nothing so extraordinary about it 
that I could I could ever see it winning, and I think it's further hurt by the fact that it's going to be going up against West of Memphis, which the dynamics of that story are so similar to this, where people are wrong, wrongly accused, oh, go through hell. Are we talking about the three? The, the, oh, no that, way. That, well, I'm we telling you, that, that's, I, I know we did, but this yeah, is, this there's is a reason Barker and Bernard bought, bought this movie for Sony Classics. It's coming out in December. They, they're they're very, uh, very much believe in it. And I've, I mean, I did see it at Santa Barbara, and I think Jeff did too, because I remember, and, and uh, the, the, the bottom line is, I don't, I don't necessarily expect either of them to win, but I think the fact that they're so similar actually disadvantages both of them. They're not similar. We have not heard. I'm sorry to interrupt. But we haven't heard anything about the um, the Central Park Five. All we've heard for ten years is about these. But wait a minute. I'm just saying similar okay. that anybody who's who the people who will be allowed to vote on documentaries are going to be the people who have seen the documentaries, and if they see these two movies, there are a lot of unmistakable parallels, and I think that. It's going to be, they're, they're, I, having now seen both of them, there's nothing that makes one extremely notably better than the other, and I think they'll go somewhere else. You brought, I'm glad you brought that up, because the key in West of Memphis is that the, uh, a lot of the, uh, the beliefs that they were guilty came from the confession right. of one of the uh, accused who was uh, uh, to be uh, almost brain damaged, right. uh, certainly not fully in possession right. of, of adequate med- mental uh, capability. And uh, it, they were kind of his code of defendants were screwed because he confessed, right? And that really and they got and they all got turned on each other and yeah. and again there uh, there are just so many right. uh, parallels here and, and and look that's not a reason why they should you know they should be appreciated individually. There's no question, but I think if we're looking at it from an awards point of view, that that's not that's those those are the sorts of parallels in the same way that people identify you know when it's Hurt Locker Avatar, oh it's David Goliath. When it's when it's the artist and Hugo, it's the it's the film history movies. Yeah. They they we, we need things to write about all of us, and we end up doing that. And they're going to be intertwined. There's no question. And you're, let's just complete the point. Right. One guy mistakenly and stupidly confessed when there's no reason to because they didn't do it. In this instance, in the Ken Burns uh, and his daughter right. uh, uh, film, all five. Yeah, they all got stunningly, yeah. stunningly, staggeringly. Now it's because they were coerced. Right. They were made to uh, feel uh, exhausted. They, right. were, they were under stress. They wanted to get out of there. Couldn't stand any longer. So they were, you know, standard, uh, you know, rubber hose uh, coercing uh, witnesses. But they all confess. It makes you wonder what kind of stupidity could they have possibly. Well, I, I not th- one of them stood up and said no. I mean, I thought it was incredible. But where, where does the stupidity end? I mean, the DA, to my, in my mind, everybody's at fault. It was their job. These are fourteen-year-old boys. But oh, it's horrific. What's a and B. When Ken Burns was at the Q and A, what he said was. In Harlem, in New York, every black parent sits down with their kid and has the talk about police because of police brutality, because of racial profiling. They sit him down and they say, you know that Bruce Springsteen song, if an officer stops you, remember son, do always be polite. It's like that. It's, you know. Saying they did it, but they they really went all in on it. And one of them said, what was the quote, Um, that he wanted to, uh, hold on, I have it right here, just one second. He said... Uh, he was trying to sell it. He was working very hard to try to sell. It. I mean, I, I, to me, I, it was—it's a bizarre thing. Quote, what does it mean? He said he's trying to sell the, that con, to sell the point that he was that n- in the videotape confession, he was selling what he had been 
coerced to write or earlier. But they, the point... The, the, they the, promised them that they would get out if they confessed. Right. They said, you will leave if you give us a, you know, this story. Keep telling us, oh, you're doing a really great job. Yeah, and then what and else And there will happened? be no consequences. And then you will that. go home. You'll just go home and you'll be living your yeah, life. Yeah, and they were 14. What did they that's know? Stupid. Well, that's well, that's stupid. I'm sorry, but that I was... I need to say something about that point because even all those stories tie themselves into this case. Even if they sold each story that it's fake, they're tied into this regardless, and they're going to probably go to jail either way. They're all part of this crime. So that whole thing, oh, we're going to go home, that doesn't make any sense. And they say that afterwards. That All of them say, I can't believe that was me. I I can't believe how stupid I was. I can't believe I trusted them. I can't believe that I incriminated myself like that. They know that. I think. But until you walk in their shoes and you know what it was like to be a kid, a quote-unquote, as Scott Feinberg would call, a bad kid, caught and taken to jail. Let's not take it out of context. I think the, the point that I'm making and that Jeff was making earlier is that I think that this film, and in some ways I, I made the same criticism of West of Memphis, sort of glosses over the fact that and in no way does anything justify what these guys had to go through for something they didn't do. But, but it does deserve to be mentioned that they were not choir boys that night. They weren't out there, you know... Uh, raising raising charity, they were out there with a group that was that was members of this group. It had and and they did not do anything to stop this or leave the group. They were throwing rocks at, at people, were um, physically assaulting bicyc- bicyclists, beating up homeless men. So these guys, you know, again, I can't stress enough. They didn't deserve what happened to them. But it's going to be an issue for people who you know it's, you can't fully embrace them as as uh, you know. As, as stand-up guys because they were really not on, they didn't just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time they were other than being born where they were born and raised but look we can, we can we can how far do you want to go back they were involved in the malignant socially malignant act an aggressive act a hateful thing to do which is to randomly beat up people right. who happen to come they, well, yeah, right. and we it, have a man who's running for president who wait, went what, up what's to other guys let a blind man into a wall and forcibly oh, cut his but, hair off is, that is one, he considered a bad guy by society I think people see him as a bully would anybody agree that he needs to go to jail because I don't know how we got guy. to Mitt Romney, but I'm just I'm saying, saying that you know you can say who's a bad kid at 14. I'm not People forgive Mitt Romney. Why would you? Not I don't know say, who forgave Mitt Romney. I, I think that the movie goes too easily on these things that were. It just it glosses over, and yeah. it's not to say it that it doesn't gloss over it. It's well, incomplete. Right. It's and there's another thing about the uh, the poor assailant. You know why it's incomplete? Because they didn't try them for those crimes. That's why it's incomplete. They weren't tried for those but, crimes. But we're, we're arguing different things. Nobody's saying that they were right to be to, to go through what they had to go through. But we're just making the point that these guys, it's, it's, a, it's hard, in the same way that it's hard to, you know, take somebody, uh, an athlete or somebody who's got a checkered past and put them out there as a um, spokesman for a company because their past impacts the way that you people look at them. These guys were... We're not. Do, these guys were were part of some pretty awful things on the very night that they they were dragged into this. Irrelevant. Well, but so what? Times go. Remember, he says that they had a defense that they could have used, but they right. chose not to. Right. That they were instead of raping this poor girl, they were involved in some pretty heinous uh, behavior with that with that group of. And they didn't choose you because they felt it would be right. All we see again. here is their childhood pictures of them pitching and all this stuff that's meant to provoke the the tremendous. Um, Sympathy about the fact that, that these guys were completely, uh, you know, that this is just an out of the blue situation that befell them. And again, for the hundredth time, they did not deserve to be framed for something they didn't do or to spend years in prison. But 
it could have been avoided, really. And, and, and just as a, a, it's worth noting, this could have been avoided if they weren't running around with a group that was assaulting people. Well, I think that's irrelevant, and I think that also the other thing that comes up in the documentary is the media culpability, how the media piled on and fanned the flames. So, so and, why didn't they And film... people like Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, they all used it for to, to right. legislate. So why didn't they get one of the journalists, for instance, New York they Post tried. columnist Andrea Peiser, they tried. who said, I don't care about all this, they're still guilty because they confessed. They asked, nobody would talk Why didn't they say that then? I didn't know. I'm not aware of any attempts that, from what I saw on the screen. Well, that's that what they, they said in the that. Q&A. They also have the poor victim who, if a victim does not want to be involved in any further exploration, if they want to just leave me alone, we all understand that that's something you do. But this woman wrote a book. It's called I Am the Central Park Jogger. She wrote a book. And they couldn't, one, quote from the book, two, try to reach her, talk to her, maybe get her. That obviously would complete the picture. Right. She's I, a, I, I, a business hotshot. She probably has, I don't know, I'm going to have to investigate to find out, but she's a business hotshot. She probably has the money thing. This is about money. This is about profit. This is about giving to a project and taking away from her. Um, I'm, I'm guessing. I'll find out and I'll get back to you on that. Jet, sorry. Um, when you're making a documentary of this kind of level, you're held to a journalistic standard where you need to cover all the bases. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they left out the, the parts about the reporters I interviewed, the victim not getting interviewed, that is irresponsible, not covering the whole story. And that's why this is, it seems a little shameful and frustrating to produce this film and you just leave it as is. It's incomplete. That's That's fair enough. I think the way that, the root of that is that Sarah Burns, who seems to have been the driving force behind the movie and says she's been interested in this subject for 10 years and she did her college thesis on it and wrote a book already, you know, I can understand um, sort of getting lost in the project and wanting and seeing it only from or, or or wanting to present only the the perspective that you're most sympathetic to but if you're going to if you're going to try to tell the story the definitive version of the story for to people who have never heard anything about it i think it's only fair like jet saying to paint the full picture it doesn't mean that by by asking them to do that it doesn't mean that we feel that the, the subject matter or that what these guys went through was justified. I just, I, I, I get the sense in a way from Sasha and, uh, that you think that be- these criticisms mean that we think they deserve what they got. I do no, not. I don't think that. I think yeah. that you're lessening their offense by bringing it up in the first place when it's totally irrelevant. They weren't tried for those crimes. It doesn't matter. But should they have been? Yeah. They should have been. That's the DA's fuck up. That is not the. Um, you're saying the that kids. there was. Am I missing the fact that there was guilty verdicts rendered in court? For those other crimes? No. They weren't tried for those other crimes. The wildings? They were just accomplices for that. They didn't, I, yeah. from what I understand, they weren't the ones sort of... They were convicted of rioting, right? I think, or some kind of a, like uh, some kind of assembly that was not... Like, it was a... It should have been a lesser charge, and that would have been the end of their day. What they were originally brought in for was was that, right? And well, and then it was just... Then that's where things went wrong late that night when, when they got the first reports about the woman's body, and they just needed to get somebody. And so they held on to the guys they already had. Attempt, I know that it's, if you have a, a kid who's got attitude issues... You can't control and tell your kid not to go out and, you know, maraud with a, with a group and beat people up randomly. 
but did, was there any attempt by the parents to have any any knowledge of anything that their kids were up to? They didn't I even touch it. It's, they didn't even ask. They you know, show the. They problem. were fine. They were beautiful kids. You're a beautiful parent. Everything was beautiful. It was just a big liberal circle circle jerk. Okay, then you think that to me. The, the other complete. side, I, I respect you know what? So what? History wasn't complete, was it? They got screwed out of history. That The media dropped the ball, the DA dropped the ball, and the cops dropped the right. ball. So now here comes a documentary that's telling their side. So what if it doesn't include a few of those well, things that fine, you're talking it doesn't about? Get my you can respect. pick up. Well, fine. Then but I think they should respect. come out, Sasha. That's fine if that's what they want to do. This is this this is the untold story of the of the five that you know that were wrongly accused but don't set it up in a way as they do at the beginning that this is the story the the complete story of the incident not of the what what happened in the lives of these people because i think in both ways it's incomplete we're shown only really the 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 positive side of the lives of the of the individuals who were of the five people again they're they're you know what lovely kids they were and blah 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 but if if you i think paint every let's be honest about everything we want to talk about the police i agree show everything you know go after them for what they did here i don't i think they should have focused more on the prosecutor the the two women prosecutors yeah. who were who were uh, awful to comment it says that in the documentary yeah, the all right so let's just screw the guys again then let's have that happen let's just no. say the documentary is not good enough no so i hope they win a huge it. So i hope it they goes, win a, it goes into the ether and nothing ever happens i think jeff and i and everybody here would hope they win a huge civil lawsuit that for against the the city I'd of new york and see, huh? that would be great it's not going to happen with all of this so tell us about uh, high park on hudson sasha which you've seen <laughs> haven't i done enough talking let's see. let's talk you guys i've been blabbing the whole time it's your turn well what do you want us to talk about our favorites well what do you talk like? about no what did you think of no well, I have I had seen No and and Can and I played just as strongly, just as well uh, uh, as a uh, really well told portrait of what happened during this campaign to have a referendum on the uh, legitimacy in the government of Augusto Pinochet and the Nos uh, were the people who were saying, "Don't vote for him. Don't put him back into office. That's enough. We want to have a more liberal, more democratic government." Uh, Pinochet, for those who do not know about him, was a dictator who took power in the 1973 overthrow of Salvador Allende. And, and under his command or his uh, dictates, uh, some 60,000 people were disappeared or murdered or otherwise uh, had their lives destroyed. So anyway, it's, uh, it's beautifully done. And the only issue is uh, one that Jet raised and others have raised. In fact, the, actually, the producer of the film uh, acknowledged that it's an issue. Which is that the director Pablo is it? He pronounced it Lorraine. Lorraine decided, and I think this is brilliant, to shoot the film with 1980s video equipment, yeah, so that it looks like it was literally shot back then. And of course, it also blends with the news footage. And Jet, if you want to talk about why you think that might not be. I mean, it's a unique experiment. It blends really well with the uh, the newscasts. They blend in with like the 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 tale and the the real news reporting on the story. However. Watching a movie through 1983 mm-hmm. equipment um, kind of creates an invisible barrier between the movie watcher and the film and trying to engage with it. And I think it's going to have a seri- have an issue connecting on a mass audience. And if they did this in, with polished equipment and made it you know make it look great like a whatever top film could be made to with the best right. equipment, I think it could have a higher chance of success in the overall market. Uh, speaking of the cinematographer, you don't want to say anything. <laughs> 
Well, well, let me ask you. Maybe you can. The, the, apparently, it was shot with umatic film stock using a pair of reconstructed umatic cameras. That I, I don't know specifically what, what those are. The that's the type of camera it would produce the blurrier, grainier stuff. I mean, I, I was trying to think. So off it the simulates top. the way they look rather than was. Well, no, they're shooting it with the stuff that was shot at the time right. to produce that look. Right. But I'm trying to remember. There were some. Uh, I don't know if it would be Mexican or Spanish movies of the, in the 80s that, uh-huh. in my memory, I think of as looking like that. I, I think uh, El Norte and uh, Gabby, whatever, I forget the, sto- the story of the... I remember El remember? Norte looking like that. So kind of just, you know, I, I, I think that maybe for the... There, this is never going to be a movie that's going to have mass appeal in the United States, so I wonder just maybe if... if for Chileans, it would resonate more because they they would get lost more in the story. But I agree with Jet. It's a it's a tough thing for people who aren't accustomed to that, like you us. Know, that said, though, it doesn't. It's not like the film looks horrible. It just every now and then sunlight bleeds through. You right. see red halos around people's right. heads, yeah. things like that. It's not horrible. No, it just happens to be a boxier aspect ratio, and it's tolerable. And the guy, the director, is a very talented guy. I don't know if you remember. I had forgotten until I checked his credits. He's the same guy that did that movie that was Chile's. Uh, Oscar entry, I think, in 2008 called Tony Manero with the guy that was obsessed with Saturday Night Fever. And uh, it was very good, and he's obviously got a, a real um, sort of voice, so I, I, it's probably going to end up as Chile's Oscar entry again this year. Um, my friend from Chile wrote me and said it's the number one movie in Chile, and everybody loves it, and they're talking about it. No? Yeah. Oh. I didn't... I agree with Jet. I talked to Chris after, Chris Tapley afterwards, and he said exactly what Jed is saying about the video, that it was distracting. Chris and I were kind of meh on the movie, mm-hmm. both of us. I was just sort of meh. Did you guys watch it last night? No, I watched it today. I, You know, I thought it was funny in parts, an interesting subject matter for sure, but I guess I was ex- maybe after Argo, I was expecting something a little more. You're kidding me. <laughs> um, a thriller, obviously commercial thriller based upon... No, this was okay. But, this was good. It was obviously fine. delivered in a very thrillerish way. Satisfyingly, very effective. But you're saying that was more satisfying than, than no? I mean, no is the real thing. That's the truth. It is That's the real honest. thing. And, well, so was Argo. Well, I, I do have yeah, to agree with... that was a Hollywood film. Let's be honest about it. I mean, that ending, that last 25 minutes of Argo, thrilling. Totally sells it, but did you believe everything? No, that he happened? said later in the afterwards that that was all, that wasn't true that, that they made that up. But that's but that's not really what I'm trying. Not trying to compare them. I'm just saying, after seeing Argo and watching this one, it was I thought it was good. You know, like I really appreciated the story. I really did. I I, I didn't particularly mind the video. Like I, I I liked some of the shots, especially of him skateboarding, and I liked the immediacy of the camera. I loved the female storyline the love story and the kid and everything felt so real you really felt like you were on the street and you were right there in the election right it just felt like it just kind of hit the same note over and over again all the way through it's just sort of flat but nonetheless it had different turns i mean there was uh looked like they weren't gonna pull it pull it out you know you knew there was probably gonna come out well but yeah. <laughs> But you don't know that, and that's a good story that doesn't exactly coax. It's you a good one, it. but to me, it's it's. If I did my Telluride movies, I'd have this level here, mm-hmm. and then I have this one, which is good movies. Mm-hmm. But and that's where no is for me. It's down here. It's not down here. It's just right underneath the the, the level. Speaking of uh, being in the minority, uh, Jet, Jet, myself, and Chris Willman, and I think Chris Tapley think that. 
uh, Noah Baumbach's Francis Ha. It's probably the best thing he's ever done, and beautiful cinematography, and really well put together. And all the rest of you are going, eh. Not me. I still have to. I'm going to see it tonight. I'm seeing it tomorrow. you got to see it with the You're Q&A saying tomorrow. you really like it now? I, yeah, I don't want to wait. If there was something else tomorrow, like I, I, I would have rather. I, not me. I like the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say that. Not me. I like well, David didn't right. like it. Right. Yeah, well, I'm not going to say I didn't like it. I would like to be clear that I found it very entertaining. I love her performance. She's the lightest yeah. thing I've ever seen in a long time. And her relationship with a woman and everything is all great. Oh, no. Do you but like girls? Have you read, watched that? There's a bi. I've seen a couple episodes. A bi. Tiny Furniture. Starling. How did you feel that this movie compared to the way girls deliver its milieu and its character? Well, I don't see them as the same style or the same thought process. I mean, I, I get that it's a similar age group that they're talking about. And I know Jen has strong feelings along these lines. To me, this is obviously a completely different take on the same age group. It's not sexual deviance. It's not, you know, lots of creepy people and stuff like that that are entertaining. This is just this girl and her experience with losing her friend and, and trying to find a way back to some kind of anchor in life. Um, so I found it entertaining. I liked the performance. Uh, as a movie, it didn't give me a lot. And so I'm not going to say, oh, I thought, I mean, to, to compare the past film to Squid and the Whale, had a breakthrough moment. Right. And this film didn't really have a breakthrough moment. It was just kind of soft, cuddly, entertaining stuff all the way through, which I liked and enjoyed. It was pleasant. Uh, you know, I thought it was one of the most tightly cut and, and tightly written, sharply written, beautifully photographed, and it captured that same... Milieu, that same twenty-something, so uh, economically desperate, you know, lunging from one thing to another, with much more maturity and satisfying complexity than Girls does. I just thought it was uh, Girls was, and also as Je- I mentioned uh, last night, it's friendlier towards guys somewhat, a little bit. You know, they're not absolved of all guilt and brain, but still. Yeah, I just thought it was so good. much better, and everybody loves girls, but nobody. People are kind of ifing on that. They're going good, but not that good. Well, I'll get back to you tonight. I want to. See, I'm looking forward to it. If you guys are that big on it, but um, yeah. can I just? I just want to throw in another movie, if I may, um, that I I think is, you know, probably right up there with Argo as the the best for me of the festival so far, and that is the Sapphires. Has ever, who's seen it here? Yeah. Okay. okay. Now, I, I, you may, I could see people going either way on this, but my feeling is that it is, as I wrote in, in my uh, sort of assessment of it, that it's it's what dream girl what dream girls want it to be. Exactly. It, it it works better on every level. Um, you don't need household names to star in it. In fact, in some ways, I think that was distracting in Dream Girls. But in this case, you have. The best-known guy is Chris O'Dowd, who was the who was the one sort of prominent male character in *Bridesmaids*, and he's fantastic, just funny uh, uh, and, and and solid throughout, and also touching towards the the end. But and then they've got these four Aboriginal uh, girls who auditioned. Most three of them had never acted before. The other one had been like a, a finalist on the Australian American Idol. Unbelievable voices and very actually capable actors. And I just think it's one of these. Uh, Rare movies like *Slumdog Millionaire*, like um, *Juno*, that sort of ha- that has the audience wrapped around its finger throughout. The, and the music element—you literally saw people um, tapping along throughout the entire movie, and yeah. just so into it that. Uh, and and the, the big other similarity is just the the big payoff at the end to go out on a high. And I don't 
personally understand what Weinstein Company is doing right now. But I, I do understand they have a, a very heavy plate in that they have Paul Thomas Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, and uh, and Paul Th- and uh, uh, David O. Russell's movies. All three of those still to come. Yeah. Plus Dustin Hoffman. Plus. Uh, song for Marion. So they got a lot going on, but they haven't even given this a release date. And I would say that if it were released in November, I would put it very high on certainly the Golden Globes side of things, but maybe even uh, Oscars. Certainly the uh, Golden Globe side yeah. thing. I don't happen to feel that it's good all the way around mm-hmm. the park, but it's so good for the first hour. Right. Maybe a little less than the first hour. Right. But what teach me. The only thing that is a problem, and by the way, we haven't just mentioned briefly about an Aboriginal group yes. of soul singers yes. in Australia Sorry. in the 60s. Right. And the big thing that happens in the second act, I guess, is, when, is they go to Vietnam right. to entertain U.S. troops. Right. And never having seen the world outside of their sort of bigoted community. And, yeah. and now suddenly they're around black people who can lead a life yeah. without having to be treated necessarily as second class. So you, that phrase that the movie has the audience in its hand, that's completely the case. I went in there fairly skeptical. Right. I thought this was a throwaway, and it might be all right. And I was tapping my feet. Yeah. I was into it. I right. was having a really good time. Yeah. So I was kind of let down when it didn't bring it home at the end. It's all right. right. I didn't say, I was not saying, you know, collapses or, right. or unsatisfying. It's just I wish it could have been better. No, I hear you. And just for... The record. It's now, but just this week became the highest-grossing Australian movie of the year, and um, and uh, I think you know it's catching on a little bit. I don't know why there wasn't more. Maybe it just got buried at, at Cannes under all the, the other stuff. Were what, responding to were it they okay? Positively. They had a party for it. Yeah. The, they, uh, Connor was doing soul music with that. Everybody was singing. It was great. Well, wouldn't it be a great? I mean, if you were put yourself in the in the shoes of a publicist yeah. working on that movie, wouldn't you send those guys on the road? And, and have them make stops sort of in major cities, sort of like once, like Searchlight did with that. And, and just sort of, uh, I think people would, would fall in love with it. In the way, and that was the way they laid out, again, Searchlight with Juno and Little Miss Sunshine and Slumdog. Right. These movies that are not inherently easy sells, there's no big stars, there's no, uh, you know, strange subject matter. But if you can sort of play it for college audiences and people that, or whoever, you know, might be most inclined, I think the word spreads fast. Easily. Yep. Well, that's the Weinstein Code, so I'm sure yep. they'll be right on that. Hopefully. So, Sasha, can you tell us a little bit about, about Hyde Park on Hudson? Since we, are, we haven't seen it yet. Uh, you've seen it? I have seen it. Okay, for two of you, can you Oh, let's touch it, please. What can be said about it? Well, I'll start with the good. The good. Um, <laughs> Those two sentences. <laughs> 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 Okay, so the good Bill Murray um, as FDR and the guy who plays King George. We mm-hmm. sort of revisit the King's speech how does, territory. How does he compare to Colin? Um, he's, he's smaller part. It's a smaller part. It's not. It's probably. It's definitely would not have won the Oscar or for Best Picture if he had played um, King George. But what's interesting about it is. Um, it's much more um, acerbic and, and mean toward King George and his and, and the and the Queen Mother. You know their relationship. She says to him at one point, "Stop stuttering." Right. And then I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And he's right. like, no. But um, but the great thing, the lovely thing, is is to see the two of them with him in his wheelchair and King George with his mm-hmm. stutter. Uh-huh. Two disabled uh, president, or you know, you leaders. A good scene between that's, the two of them. that's the best, best scene thing. in the movie for sure. Yeah. Where it kind of goes wrong is that it's trying to tell the story, the love story mm-hmm. of FDR and his mistresses, 
It has to be told. That's the voiceover. That's Laura Linney. That's all this going on. But right. you're like, I like this story better. Right. <laughs> I want the movie to be about this and not about that. But it keeps pulling back to that because it has to. Well, I think it's fine. You know, okay. it's not a bad movie. It's not a great movie. It's fine. Okay. It's just fine. So how does the affair uh, resolve itself? What happens at the end? Well, I don't. Do you want to? Should we give that away, or do you want? Well, he didn't divorce Eleanor and marry her. So well, if you want to know the real story, Laura Linney says in the Q and A. Do you want to know? I mean, it's history, so it's yeah, it's, it's not actually exactly a, yeah. So this woman, FDR, apparently kept many mistresses mm-hmm. all at the same time, and she was close enough with him that um, she gave him a dog, and and. Uh, I think there's something like the only picture of FDR ever taken in his wheelchair, she's with him. Okay. So they had an ongoing, long-term affair, but he also had affairs with This other was his women. fifth cousin, by the way. His fifth cousin, and he had affairs with other yeah. women. And who was Lucy Mercer? We're not talking about Lucy Mercer. No, she this is uh, Daisy Stuckley, I Daisy. think her name is. But this is not hot and heavy here. This right. is this is not even a kiss. No, there's a hand job yeah, out of the frame of the picture. Hand job, like mine. Right. Off I gotta tell you, screen. before this movie started to come out, honestly, all my life, yeah. and I watched and read about uh, that documentary on yeah. uh, FDR, I've read uh, some, one book about it. I thought he was completely dead from the waist down. I thought that's what Paul oh, interesting. Bill Murray said something really funny in the Q&A. He's like, He's like, FDR built himself up. He, you know, he built himself up. He went, you know, all the way down here, all the way down here. And then, you know, he got over that right. and yeah. down there. And, and then stopped the there. Way- <laughs> <laughs> like he stopped and made it. was right. so funny. He That's was funny. Uh-huh. Well, but- would you agree, Sasha, though, like, as great as Bill Murray was, I was sad to see Laura Linney, who I think is great, um, have so little to do. And I think what I, I mentioned to Jeff and Jet before was that yeah. there are certain actresses that, and you can't have them play people that aren't smart because they actually exude intelligence, whether it's Rachel Weiss or Kate Blanchett or Laura Linney, where you just they are smart and you can't hide it. And so when you cast them as a character who doesn't bring a lot to the table intellectually, it just doesn't work. You no, don't buy it. There's no sexual heat between them. Right. They should have cast a woman who... You know, lights the, your loins on fire when you look at her, uh-huh. so that it would have filled in the gap. As it is, they don't. There's nothing between them except that one awkward hand job. You're wondering what the hell, you know. But, and I agree. You didn't need Laura Linney for this. You could have put anybody in that part. She doesn't have a lot to do. She's fine for what she does. She's always a good actress. It's not like her best role ever. Um, the, the, my only major criticism of the movie, and I want to see if you guys agree, is the score. I found it so overbearing and awful. It does guide you a lot, a little too much. What was the music that they used? It's just the score. I think it was it Alexander Desplat or who who did it? I'll have to... I don't know, but it was awful. Well, it was what what awful. kind of music was it? Was it emotional music? It's just game? like it leading like you how to feel all the time. Oh, you know, it just it wasn't very. I didn't think it was very. But there were there was a lot of good stuff in it, particularly with King George and, and uh, FDR. I mean, if you're a history buff, if you're into American presidents as I am, you'll really dig the stuff about FDR, what was going on, how he moved around, what kind of wheelchair he used, you know. Not enough on on, um, his wife. Right, and also, isn't Olivia, I mean, Olivia Williams is way too pretty to play Eleanor Roosevelt. And she she was so underused. Underused, yeah. They allude to her being a lesbian, she lived in a house of women. They Uh make beds, (laughs) or whatever. I thought the secretary was going to turn out to be her lover, but it didn't turn out that way. I think there's a lot, you maybe got more uh, understanding of this from the Q&A, but it seems to me like, there, a lot of this had to have just been based on speculation. There's no nobody 
that I know of has ever sort of spoken so frankly about all of his different relationships or whatever. But let me, uh, let's... Uh, right, let's so can we sorry. talk about the attack no. briefly? Did anybody see the attack? Yeah. Oh, Jet, you want to? Uh, the attack is about a uh, Palestinian surgeon based in, I mean, well, he's Arab-born, Palestinian-born, but he's assimilated into Israeli society. He's based in Tel Aviv, but he's a successful surgeon, and uh, all of a sudden his uh, Palestinian wife, who is uh, quite pretty and quite, you know, quite the perfect wife, it turns out that she has destroyed herself, uh, become a martyr by blowing herself up oh, and geez. murdering several people. Wow, really? And, he, and basically, so it becomes, we know what's going to happen. Oh, he's going to go through the usual thing. He's going to go through denial. Right. He's going to argue that she has to be innocent, then he's going right. to gradually accept it. Because we know, we can sense right away that's yeah. what the movie's about. And then he's going to gradually uh, find out more and more about what drove her, and then he's going to reconnect <coughs> with his own feelings about his own uh, nationality, yeah. his own identity with the Arab-Palestinian cause, and he's going to be a little more, a little less of a, assimilated at the end. I knew that from the get-go, but we have to take this journey with him. Right. However, Jet was much more taken with it, and please tell me how I'm wrong. Or, you you know. thought it was a lot more predictable than could have gone out. There are so many scenarios that could have happened with this lead. He he could have encountered I don't I don't want to blow it for you guys, but like he could have it could have been other than oh yeah, I understand what she did, but something violent could have happened. Something very tragic could have happened. Something unresolved could have happened. I thought there were so many ways to go about this, and I was gripped throughout the entire time. Um, it's a very well-made film. And very moving. And the one thing that, that goes, no one talks about is there, the director had a little speech beforehand. During the making of the movie, he had lots of struggles to uh, get funding for the film. And I don't know, how long did it stretch on for that he couldn't get the funding? It was like... Oh, six, I think. Yeah, so many years. And he said, personally, he was losing confidence as a director. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a personal overcoming for him to right. finish this film. It was very moving going into this. Mm -hmm. So overall, compounded together, I thought it was like, wow, that was... That was really amazing. Yeah. I thought it was great. That's I would definitely great. give the film a thumbs up. I just felt that I didn't want to take it. I knew what the journey was going to be, and the journey took off like two hours, and I knew where it was going to go. So huh. I guess that means I didn't like it as much as Jesse, but I still respect it. I know it's a well-made right. film. You're saying you knew exactly like... where it was going to go? He thought it was Not precisely, but, I, but you know, clearly he was going to make a journey of discovery, not just about herself, but about himself, because he, be, he tells the audience in the beginning through narration, that he began, as all young men of Palestinian origins began, extremely angry and furious at the Israeli occupation and how the, the, their culture has been sublimated, pushed around, kicked around. And, uh, and But he gradually felt more and more of the calling of, of, of being a doctor and, and healing, and he became more, more and more respected for that, so he let, let his anger go. And it's about reconnecting with the anger. It sounds to me like your reaction to this, which is sort of respect but not enthusiasm, is I would say also how I felt about Amor, which has been a, the most anticipated movie that was coming here for people that didn't see it at Cannes. And it's just, I don't, I'd like to hear how you guys reacted. I mean, to me, I, I have tremendous admiration for anybody who's in their mid-80s and gets out and makes a, a movie with such, uh, you know, really it's terrific performances and so 
um, believable and honest that I, I, as I wrote, you literally want to Google and make sure the actors are still alive after the after you walk out because it's so uh, haunting in that way. But Who's I just the, the actors, the two actors that are no, the the director. Director. Panicky, no, 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 he's uh, only what he's seventy or yeah, no, I'm no. wondering because I thought, oh God, is Michael Haneke in his movie? No, no, but these these two start. I mean, this movie is gonna. I think it's less likely to be a best picture than a, a best foreign. actor or actress, and maybe and foreign if if they can figure out which country is gonna submit it, which. Haneke in the past, I think, has been Germany, or White Ribbon was uh, well, Germany. Was German language. Right. Yeah. Now, the problem here is this is French language and French actors, and everything about it is French except Haneke, and yet I've been told that it probably will not go as France because Haneke, it's, it ultimately often comes down to the filmmakers' uh, roots and financing and that, and so I think that this will be... Uh, Austria or Germany's movie, and then Rust and Bone, which I, I just have to say as an aside, was, I thought, terrific, mm. is the one that would probably end up as France's, although Ann Thompson and some people are promoting the idea of The, the Untouchables, Untouchables, which... going to be The Untouchables. Well, that is the, that is the more widely accessible movie, but is France going to want to... Are, are they going to have the balls to say that this is our best movie of the year ahead of a more artistically ambitious it's movie so like Rust and Bone? It's so Oscar's Alley, The Untouchables, and I haven't even seen it, and I know Well, but, but how many times have have countries uh, sent the less um, likely movie like I think it was I forget what happened but it wasn't a very long engagement the year that that happened and many times where because the decision comes down to with the film within the filmmaking community in that own in their own country, is this what they want to be the, their representative? And Untouchables is terrific, and it is no question the better Academy movie, but it's not nearly as sort of artistically ambitious as yeah. Rust and Bone. Uh, more, my feeling about it more was that it's a, it's, it has to be the best film I've ever seen about the ravages of age and coming to terms with the reality that you're going to die. Right. And Michael Haneke is a brilliant filmmaker, I think. Uh, but it's, there's no one on the face of the planet who sees this movie who's going to call it an easy set right. or a neutral set. It is a tough right. thing to set for me. But that aside, it's brilliant. And I think it should be uh, you know, seen by everybody yeah. if they can take it. I, I have, you know, having gone through, I wasn't in my father's bedside, but I saw what happened to him right. over the years and what age is. It's a right. gruesome, a ghastly thing. <laughs> And to see that in an And to see that entire process within two hours is what I think makes it so emotionally <laughs> powerful. <laughs> Ironically, old age, good times. <laughs> and, and, and we love it, don't we? The only the only thing uh, that might that might be more depressing than that would be losing your legs, right? So should we should we cover that or is that done with I can rust and bone? Do we want to get well, into I, that? I have to just sure. say one thing. The yeah. pictures of Marianne Cotillard on your site are just, she is the most beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's so beautiful. She's you were stunning. Having a good time. <laughs> Not as good as you and Greta. <laughs> <laughs> as pretty in person as she is on the photos, is she that pretty? Yeah, she was stunning. She's like unbelievable, isn't she? She was wearing like no makeup today. And, and I, I know I, I've, I've been made fun of for tweeting this, but it's true. She was saying to Michael Barker and, and everybody, you know, that was asking, you know, when did you get in, all this stuff. She literally took and Jeff I, I, know, I know we're still trying to figure out the number but I, be- I believe she said four flights because what she did was and, and so that's when she came here on no sleep four flights Paris to, she just had to go to New York first and then LA and then LA to Denver and Denver to Montrose uh-huh. and yet with no sleep after five flights 
And minimal makeup still looked like that. Oh, my. She is, like, inhuman how beautiful right. she is. She's stunning. I mean, she's I was, I, I, told her I didn't have the nerve to have to, to shoot her cowboy boots. Jeff said she had these. That's right. When we came Jackson in, remember, we saw it. We, yeah, that was. Wow. Well, you know who? Shoes. Lex G, you shouldn't have said it. Lex G's going to jump off. He would have eaten that alive. Oh, eaten that up. Oh. <laughs> I think if you take it, may I take a picture of your feet? You yes. Kind of perverted, <laughs> you know, foot fetishist or something. You know? Right. It wasn't the feet, it was the boots. The boots right. were no, they the were. kind of thing that you buy on Main Street and tell right. you embroidery. And, you know. They were very appropriate for the talent. She, yeah. Well, I'll just say that I, I'm a huge fan of hers since LaVeon Rose, mm-hmm. and I think she was just amazing in, mm-hmm. in, um, in uh, Inception. And I loved her in The Dark Knight Rises. I'm probably the only person who did, but I loved it that it turned the plot turned that way, and it totally thrilled me to the bone. And her performance in this movie is unbelievable. She's looking definitely in an Oscar nomination. Absolutely. She's the best actress. And guys, fun stat in connection with that. I just was running these numbers this morning, and there have only been four other people in history who have ever been nominated twice for giving foreign, for foreign language performances, uh-huh. which would be the case with her. So she's up that she'd be up there with Penelope Cruz, uh, Sophia Loren, Isabella Johnny, and I forget who the fourth was, wow. but it's pretty unbelievable company. And also, just as a, a, a fun aside, because I think you guys are all film history buffs as well. Um, the, when I saw the scene, spoiler alert, with her, you know, waking up and finding her legs are gone. The the one that comes to mind is is Reagan in King's Row. You know, where's the rest yeah. of me? Yeah. And which actually he titled his auto one of his. I think his first memoir or whatever. But the point was just, I, I was really curious because I, the reaction uh, in Cotillard's scene of that was so similar for a lot of it, I thought, to, to Reagan's that I wondered if she had seen that and used it or whatever. And as it turned out, she hadn't even heard of it before. But Michael Park was saying he bet a million dollars that uh, Jacques Audiard had because there's sure. just, it's too similar in a positive. I'm not saying it's a rip it's in a great homage to that moment. Has it's, anyone here seen The Iceman? I haven't seen it. Not yet. Tomorrow. Nobody? The, Marion Cotillard is going to be one of the best female performances of the year. Definitely. I mean, I want to take this opportunity yeah. to vocally congratulate the uh, people behind the Telluride Film Festival. Yeah. Gary Meyer, Tom Luddy, and uh, whoever, particularly the people that uh, organized uh, and constructed Julie the app. Right. The oh, app right. is wonderful. Right. The best film festival app I've, I've run across. It's good Very point. easy to, and, and a really great feature, which Jet pointed out. Uh, it actually tells you how the seating is going. It's amazing. As you're approaching the thing, whether you have a good shot at it, it's really great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so, what do you? How do you think it stacks up to previous Tellurides? Well, a better of exactly one. Right, me too. <laughs> Plus, uh, I thought initially it wasn't it wasn't award seasony enough. I, I know that you got to have a, a festival that they feel is just good films to see. Forget the awards, right. but there's only really uh, Argo. Well, but I disagree. I would say Amora and Rust and Bone. Oh yes, and I Sapphire. Mean, I mean, the but they came from though. Right. No. Okay. Of uh, things that actually premiered here this year, um, it is. Minimal. Yeah. Like, would be the Argo would be the one. Argo, right. I also wanted to see the Paul Thomas Anderson just to see it. Right. You know, it would be a, it would be a complete film. I wanted to see, even though it's supposed to be a disaster, the Terrence Malick film. Right. I mean, the, it's booing. Right. Right. No, but 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 Sonatry of Life though, and it still managed to recover. I mean, 
Were we really sure that it's getting bad notices? Oh, yeah, it was some, getting destroyed. Some people in, in Britain are saying, you know, I hate when people do a film because this movie takes chances. Right. It's not some safe, tidy thing, and we should always applaud that. He's after, after, after all, he's Terrence Malick, so let's show a little respect and so on. But to hear it from Tom McCarthy, right. and How I, could it I be trust, that bad? Huh? How could it be that bad? He has never made that bad. bad as it was completely diffused. Well, some know. people were like, it's leftover stuff from Tree of Life, is yeah. what some people were saying. Oh, God. Well, um, In Ben Affleck's own words, given to me two days ago, yeah. two days ago yeah. it makes Tree of Life look like Transformers. He, he reminded me of Sean Penn, That's kind of distancing one. himself from it after. He's afraid that it's going to be some kind of embarrassment. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. But, it did, you know, I think that there's so much respect for him anyway that I bet you it doesn't bomb him. You saw what Scott Tobias wrote about. Um, said if anybody that boos Malik mm-hmm. in Toronto has to deal with me. Right. <laughs> so that's what I I'm don't thinking. care if he's twice my size. Right. <laughs> yeah, because Tree of Life got booed in Canada, remember? They just were like, boo! <laughs> so speaking of Toronto, what are you guys most excited to see? Are, all gonna, are you guys all going to be there? Yeah. You're not coming? No. Why not? I only get to choose one of the two, and I shot my wad on this trip. Well, yeah, that's smart. It's probably, this is, you, there's not that much new stuff in Toronto that's not already been here. Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Flight. Master. Flight's not going to be in Toronto. Flight's in New York. That's New York. So, uh, the flight's going to be shown right after New York, by the right. way, in Los Angeles. Yeah, so, so, so I'll see Flight. Anna Karenina will be there, the master. Anna Karenina is like a movie you don't even have to see almost, isn't it? You know what you it is. You already know what the movie Probably. is. Probably. Except Chavis shot it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that? The DP. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's a guilty. I, I don't know if I should admit this, but I really, oh, I loved uh, Pride and Prejudice, and I loved Atonement. I, I think a if you, bit of a Kira Knightley it, fan. Well, that's yeah. certainly part of it, but like, I, I think that if they're going to make costume dramas uh, and sort of period piece stuff, I, I would go every day of the week to see those two do it. They've been, they've been great. I did not talk about gatekeepers. Who's that on your desk? Gatekeepers is uh, brilliant. I, I thought it was, that was uh, uh, really was absorbing, and <laughs> I, I felt that I, you know, had seen, oh, oh. seen a documentary about a subject that I didn't know that much one? about. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I would uh, highly recommend that to anybody. And it should be seen, and I hope that they get a lot of attention. Right? That was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Best I haven't seen it yet. I heard great things. The festival yeah. beating out Central Park Five. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what is the gatekeepers about again? It's about That's Palestine and Israel. Well, no, they got they got the guy that made a documentary five years ago, four or five years ago about Ariel Sharon, at the the military hero who became the. Prime Minister of Israel, and then had a a stroke that's left him. He's still in a coma. For that, this guy had interviewed some of the top uh, leaders of the Israeli intelligence service, and so now for this one, uh, at what is obviously like a very you know big turning point in Israeli history, with who knows what's going to happen with Iran, he got these guys, all of the living Israeli intelligence leaders, to talk about. Israel's, you know, security history and future and all that, which has never happened before. Okay, so is it an anti-Israel movie? No. No, no, no. no, no. It's an Israeli filmmaker. No, not at all. It's pro-Palestine, right? No. No. What are you doing here? I'm only asking because you can cross that off the list if it's anti-Israel. Well, I mean, for me too, but I mean, if you're going to talk about anti-Israeli, you can also cross the attack off the list if you're going to... Well, is that anti-Israeli? So, I'm sorry, Dave, I didn't hear you. Oh, sorry. No, 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 he never speaks through the podcast. So <laughs> get a chance. All I was going to say was it's not anti-Israeli um, at all. The only point that it makes, or the strongest point that it makes, is 
this isn't working. This kind of, we're going to kill these guys with our drones and, you know, we're going to hit the people that are bombing us and all that sort of stuff. That's not working. They have 20, 40 years of history saying that's not working. And here we are, America. No and these guys are war hawks. They believe in these operations. Yeah, but these are, these are the war They're doing their job. They're yeah. not, they're not uh, apologizing for their job in any kind of way. But they can say, statistically, that's not helping at all. Yeah. And here we are, America. We're using our drones to kill people in Yemen and many, many other countries. And is that going to work for us? And I think that's what's so powerful about this documentary is it is saying this didn't work. Right. America listened to us. We need to talk. We need to talk to each other. And the only basically the end of we need to keep talking to each other. I find it. It's really actually really great. So. It sounds great. It sounds great. I wouldn't put too much faith in it being a big Oscar movie, but I think that um, that it sounds like a great. But who cares, right? Who cares if it's a big Oscar movie or not? Well, I do. I think it's important. All right, I have to run to see what movie is this. Love Marilyn. So nice. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Scott Feinberg. And I'll nice see you guys. You. Take care. All right, Scott. Catch you around the Oscar um, scene, bro. Definitely, absolutely. I don't know if that movie's gonna. Tell us anything. Uh, it's about her the new memos, pack. letters, things, and they're going to read from her right. notes. And I think diary. the recently released, like the, the diary and stuff. But right. I don't know. I, I, I got to give it a chance. Liz Garvis is a good yeah. filmmaker, so we'll see. Okay. All right, thanks a lot. Right. Sounds okay. good. See ya. Barack Obama about Clint Eastwood. He's a great actor, an even better director. I think the last few movies he has made have been terrific. Asked if he was offended by Clinton's speech at the Republican convention. Smiled and said, one thing about being president or running for president, if you're easily offended, you'd probably choose another profession. Yeah. Well, uh, Roger Ebert wrote a really wonderful piece today about Clint Eastwood that um, talked about how, how, he, how he was tripped up and how the um, the right wingers are saying that Ebert is now a, a, a you know talking piece for the left, and he was saying no, that isn't it. I'm you know I'm really I was good friends with Clint Eastwood. I've always admired him throughout his career. It's just that he was given um, talking points by the GOP strategist right before he went on stage, and it left him kind of befuddled and confused a little bit about. Um, you know, what he was supposed to be talking about. So he said that his, his, his bit went wrong in two ways, you know. He said that he did not have a prepared speech and that he was expecting it to be given good help by the uh, Republican... I don't think he was expected, but I think they pulled him aside before he went on stage and said, this is what worked. these are our points that we're trying to hit, and if you hit them and... and so he improv and Ebert saying that he was, you know, he, he's a he's a intelligent man. He's not senile. He's not old. He's just he was just given the wrong wrong script, and that is why he, he bombed. You know, if I were um, in charge of being the liaison between what? the Republican National Convention and Clint Eastwood, given that he's probably not quite as sharp as he was when he was seventy-two or sixty-two, right? Inevitable. Wouldn't you want to maybe give him a couple of hours to think about it? I mean, rather than you're you're about to go. On. Here's some important talking about. Doesn't that seem? I don't know, but I I don't think anybody tells Clint Eastwood what to do. That's just sort of my take on it. I don't think you know he's so he's he's so used to at Warner Brothers he has a hundred percent control over what he does. Um, in his personal life, he has a hundred percent control. He's a free thinker, libertarian. I don't think he's going to let any guy come up to him and go, "This is what you need to say." He's just not that guy. So I don't think you can blame the guys backstage personally. Um, 
I don't know. I didn't think Eastwood's thing was as offensive as, as Romney or Ryan, personally, but that's just my opinion. It was a little annoying that he called him Mr. Obama instead of Mr. President. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I just I think Clint, I thought he was kind of losing it for a while now, ever since I saw him do the Q&A for J. Edgar. He was, like, losing his place and forgetting where he he was saying in the middle of his sentences, which I think is what happens to us when we get to be, what is he, like 80-something? 82. He's not getting any younger, you know, so, I don't know. What do you think? Mistake that they put him on, or? No, I think that, uh, actually, the the second wave of uh, reaction is, like, there's one that was written by David Denby. He says, actually, you know, he was making some points that were sort of from a left, left-leaning perspective. So it was. Um, it sounded on a certain tonal level, delivery level, a little doddering. It didn't sound that smooth, but it, it wasn't ridiculous. And, uh, but Mitt Romney needed this speech to be his. This he needed. He was having a lot of trouble connecting with the voters. So yeah. This right. was supposed to be like a big thing for him, and he got overshadowed by the press. Yeah. And it's, Clint stole the headlines, right. so it's a right. huge, huge, huge hit for their thing. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I still think they're going to win. Why do you think that? Did he, did he I get think a bump, it's the economy. Every time there's a convention, the nominee always gets a bump of about four or five or he six He got two-point bump. Not according to the Gallup poll that I just read this morning. Oh, I thought he was up 40, 44, nope, 40. still 47 Obama, 46 from me. And oh, that's close. That so is he should so have gotten close. a bump out of it. It tells you where things are. Well, Ryan is just such a liar. It comes down to 12 districts. You should see the polls on those districts. That's all it comes down to. Really? What do you mean exactly? Like, the, they're just like a small number of districts that are key to the swing states. So if you just do the math, everyone's going to, each part is going to take their states, but the swing states, they're like major districts in these states that it really just comes down to. So, so what do you think? Obama or Romney? I... I'm, I'm looking forward to the Democratic convention in this in the debates to make my decision. But I think Obama's fine. You do? Yeah. You don't think Romney's going to steal it? I don't think so. I think they're underestimating the youth vote. I still think they're going to come. Out. There's Obama if he's if he lets his aggressive faith come out, which he has serious problems doing. He doesn't like to get aggressive. Uh, he could really wipe the floor. I think he's just too, the opposite. Too, he's too bland, too, too nice, and he's going to be uh, smiling too much. And, and, okay, and we'll see about that. Um, you know, I think it's the opposite. I think this was an easy steal for any really good, formidable candidate. And I feel like Romney is just so unlikable, and yeah. he has like he's just weird. And Ryan is a liar, proven time and time again to be a liar. He lied about the plant closing under Bush. He said it was under Obama. He didn't actually say that. Welfare thing, taking away the work requirement, complete lie. And then lying about his his marathon run. And any marathon runner knows their time. They don't lie about their time. They tell their time exactly. I don't know about that. He said he could not remember his time. No, he said he lied, and he said he did it in under three hours. And and runners. <laughs> magazine or whatever said no he didn't he did it in four hours okay. and he had to correct it but why would you lie about runners know their time believe me they hang on every minute they yeah. know their time and I, I was surprised that he was bothered four hours is still really good right. you know what is it he's matter? in good shape he's obviously a, a big uh, workout guy he's determined not to have his life ended really like his dad and he knows that he's you know, I, I respect that. But I just don't understand why he gets, gets lie, caught yeah. lying. Like, right. you know, other politicians don't get caught lying that much, just right. about trivial things. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. 
So we'll see. But I still think they're going to win because the economy is just not picking up, you know. The logical the reason that we're in the shitter is because of the Republican lack of regulation, the whole Reagan decision to deregulate, the wildcat markets is what led to all this. Basic logic. Put a person who believes in the same wildcat atmosphere, letting those guys have everything they want. That's How can anybody make that decision? I, I, I don't know. They're, 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 just they're, hate the idea of a wildcat. I understand that's that. A, and B, their point of view is we're not going to sit here making excuses. We're just going to put the economy back. I was talking to Marlo Stern, you know, the Daily Beast guy who's a Democrat, and he was saying that he thought Romney would be better for the economy, period. So if other people feel that way, if they really think that hiring a Republican for our president is going to... Can I ask you guys a question? I'll be recording something. Oh, you're recording something? But you can ask. Go ahead. Oh, I didn't know you were recording Sorry. We're doing a podcast. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. You want a chair? Take a chair. No, no, no. no. I'm sorry. I didn't know you were doing that. But you, we want to ask you. You said a question. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. It's all right. What? What's the question? Did you see the No movie? Did you see the No movie? Yeah. yeah. Just okay. Me. Was the guy who was did the campaign for the No movie, did he ever work on the Yes campaign as well? The older no, guy? Uh, no, the young guy. The father oh. figure in his life, wherever that guy yeah, was. He worked no. on the Yes yeah. campaign. But did the did the guy, the young guy. No, absolutely. He was totally. Uh, <laughs> he was totally. Yeah. He didn't work on the Yes Okay. Not at all. You just helped. The, the guy who was the Yes campaign was in the Pinochet camp, and he was, you know, antagonistic towards him. So you're going to fuck yourself up. You've been well paid. You've got a nice life. Why, why are you doing this? No, no, he's well paid because they're doing regular commercials, regular TV commercials. I kind of thought that too, though. I thought he was a reformed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, that was in context of our podcast. Huh? Um, so what's up for you guys next? So, Lana, this is your first trip to the Telluride Film Festival. No, it's my second. Oh, it's your second? Yeah. I'm just disappointed I didn't see, I didn't get to see the attack. Uh, I've been looking forward to that film, but uh, the lines were incredible and uh, just waiting two hours to see each movie. Yeah, I would feel, you know, we get these tickets uh, as a press thing. We get these little white tickets that allow us to be part of the patrons line. To pay seven hundred eighty dollars, do all the all the travel, very expensive to stay here, and on top of that, you got to wait two you hours. You got to wait two hours movie? to get in, and then you don't get in. Yeah. Um, and so I gave up because this theater was only hundred and eighty seats, and I just had no nerves to wait what another two hours. Yeah. So you would have had to get in line two hours early, like yeah. four o'clock for six yeah. o'clock. Well, we did, and there were so many people ready. <laughs> there was literally something like eighty people ready in line. Wow. I. I decided to bail. <laughs> That's going to be a problem for them. They should yeah. figure that out. Yeah. You know? Um, I didn't want less people, I guess, but that means less money. I know. That's less success. Yeah. Less success. Um, maybe another, well, again, they can't build anything more in Telluride. They can't make bigger right. yeah. theaters. They could have another outdoor theater. They could have another outdoor theater. That's right. They could turn the public library back into a screening room like it was once. Yeah. Um, but they should address it, I think, too. Yeah. But it's good that, the, you know, this is kind of a smaller selection this time because it's not as, like, what if it, you know, there are many, many more. But it's a bummer that you came here to see just the attack. Is it playing in again? 
No. Six o'clock. Uh, you just uh, missed it. That's what, that was that the was six o'clock one. They were waiting that's how for. I got here with you guys. I'm banking on PBA. Yeah. Well, I think I'll try to seek that one out since you are so positive on it. So yeah, definitely. Everybody we talked to loved that movie. Really? It's that good, huh? Yeah. Just, uh, that's not what Dad thinks. I'm, I'm behind it all the way. You guys disagreed on it. Yeah. Jeff didn't like it. Like what? The attack. No, I, 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 it's a good film, and he's a good filmmaker, and it's... Uh, you were shaking your seats. But I was like, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you. I if I didn't like the journey and didn't want to go through it, I thought you were going to still you said say that Avatar can take this. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, the only one that's Sarah Polly Sarah Polly. She made a little documentary called The Story We Tell, and it's really actually adorable. I mean, commercially, you know, of course, it's not going to do well, but it's it's a personal story about her family, and it's really actually great. You saw it? Yeah. Oh, well, that's a good one then to check out. Yeah, it was a uh, smart Yeah, I heard someone else recommend that too, actually. So maybe it'll show tomorrow. It is showing tomorrow. Oh, it is nine o'clock. Sarah Polly's film is tomorrow. Stories we tell. There it is. Yeah, with the Q and A. It's very personal film. It's it's very well done and uh, it's um, yeah. It's good. It takes you on a nice journey. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm seeing Francis Ha tomorrow with the Q and A. Okay. I guess we'll have. What time is that show? Greta Gerwig and uh, what's his name? Um, 9.15 at the poem. Did you see uh, Ginger and Rosa? Not yet, no. But someone said to me, I think you would like Ginger and Rosa, which told me, you're a girl, so I think you'd like Ginger and Rosa. <laughs> but, I, you know, I'll see it. I'll definitely catch it on the screening or something. Screener. Yeah? It's worth seeing? Well, good. Well, I will. Check it out. Check it out. So, anything more to talk about? No, we're covered. We're covered. So we are. We're, we're recording, but we're going to sign off now. Nice talking to you guys from Colorado. We, we did an hour and ten minutes. We could eat and cut it where Scott Weinberg leaves. Yeah. So. I don't have it to go on forever. No, I like some of the stuff that we had Svetlana on. Oh, right. okay. I know. <laughs> but I'm not going to take out the part where Jet <laughs> talks about you in the theater. <laughs> I'm not cutting that out. <laughs> All right, guys, until next year. I can just, I, there's a difference between not feeling comfortable or not enjoying a film and knowing that it's definitely knows what it's doing and it's telling a good story that others will appreciate and get into. I don't want to say, dismiss it and say it's not good. I just okay. enjoy it myself. Got it. Much, like, yeah. And that's sort of how I felt about No. Almost as Wouldn't say it's a bad movie. It's a really good movie. It's just I didn't particularly want to sit there watching it. Okay. So we'll say goodbye, everybody, and have a nice trip back. Okay. Me too. Okay. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to episode 91 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com. Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com and Scott Feinberg from Hollywood Reporter and Jeff's friends Svetlana and David and his son Jet. The bumper music tonight was When the Levee Breaks by Led Zeppelin and Colorado by Josh Grondon. Thanks for listening.